lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. Today we've got a really interesting show, and I think it's a show of the future. We've got Dr. Jan Patterson. And she's an integrative medicine doctor. She started out very, very much a Texas girl, grew up in the outskirts of Fort Worth, learned how to milk goats and grow vegetables. And this served her well later in life because it contributed to her interest in natural products as therapies. Early in life, she saw some consequences of inadequate medical care in people that were close to her. And this heightened her interest in medicine but she wanted a chance to learn about and provide good medical care, which we all need. She went to medical school in Houston, trained in internal medicine at Vanderbilt and in infectious diseases at Yale, is married. Her husband's also an infectious disease physician, and they they moved to Long School of Medicine at UT Health San Antonio, San Antonio, and they've been there for 30 years, which is where they raised their two sons. Jan, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Lee. It's great to be here. Well, and what I'm so excited about is you've got 30 sound years of practicing and teaching medicine, and you utilize that, but you also bring in your own personal experience, that as a cancer survivor and that the losses that you've had to deal with, including the loss of your son by suicide, and you've used those to shape your integrative medicine style. And I do believe that's the style of the future, because I think the things that, and I know you recognize that conventional medicine is very helpful and can do wonderful things, but you've recognized that when you're dealing with just life difficulties, stress, anxiety, depression, grief, sometimes it takes a little bit more than that. That's right. Um, And I have observed that from my 30 years of practicing and teaching medicine. And and then, as you said, uh, especially from my personal experiences as a cancer survivor and uh, surviving the loss of my son to suicide. You know, in medicine, traditional medicine, we're trained to give a pill or do a procedure. And of course, in infectious diseases, we give a lot of antibiotics when they're needed. We try to avoid them when they're not needed. But, you know, I've just seen uh, people who need more than conventional medicine, especially when we're coping with the difficulties in life like stress, anxiety, depression, grief, you know, and all of us have to deal with those at one time or another. We absolutely do. And one of the things that I really appreciate is your stance on mental well-being and how that's critical to our own personal physical health and our personal wellness. Because, you know, it amazes me, Jan, when you, I think of the brain as an organ, it just like the heart or just like the skin. The skin is the largest organ that we have. And when you think about it, and I'm one of these people, I'm talking about myself here. I have, I spend a lot of time on my skin. I've got my morning routine. I've got my <laughs> evening routine. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I'm the first to admit and I've, and I'll spend money on good products, but I also spend time on my brain. Mm. And that's the point I try to make at the Brain Performance Center is, you know, you've got to think of the brain just like you think of the rest of the organs in your body. 
And the minute that we think that we may have something wrong with our heart, the first thing that we do is we go to a heart doctor. Mm-hmm. The minute that we get up and we're too overwhelmed to get to get out of bed and get to work, we just have a nasty conversation with ourselves. Yes. Suck it up, buttercup. Yes. That's right. And uh, mental being is so critical to our personal wellness, as well as our professional success. You know, we can't be our best selves uh, if we don't have mental wellness. You know, um, just these last uh, two and a half years during the COVID pandemic, I've seen many of my healthcare uh, co-workers become burned out. We've lost a substantial part of our healthcare workforce to burnout. And, um, you know, mental wellness is, is essential for avoiding that. And we all need to pay more attention to it. Um, you know, and some of those things are things that we uh, have to be empowered to do for ourselves. Things like mindfulness, things like, you know, uh, being where we are in the moment, not being judgmental of ourselves when we are not feeling like getting out of bed in the morning, but just looking into ourselves, you know, meditating, seeing what is going on with us that day. Um, you know, just clearing our mind for just, you know, five or 10 minutes once or twice a day can be very helpful for our mental wellness. Oh, it can. Just the simplest things. Just at the end of the of the day, instead of focusing on the negative that happened. And that's what our brain does. I mean, uh, that's the way our brain's been trained. Two thirds of the cells in the right hemisphere are scanning for danger all the time. And, you know, we always find what we're looking for. And so at the end and the way our brain works is it holds on to that negative. And what I try to convince people to do is just at the end of the day, what are three things that you're grateful for? What are three things that you're thankful for? And you know what? It's okay if it was the same three things as yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, that's true. And so, um, you know, I uh, I came across something as I was doing the research for our book, our, our book, Breath with the Soul, um, which um, has some self-care strategies for wellness in it. And there was a strategy by a, um, a therapist, uh, Dr. Don Altman, and he calls it GLAD, G-L-A-D. And so at the end of the day, you know, as you're saying, think of something that you're grateful for. Think of something that you learned that day. You know, uh, we all learn something in a day. Think of something that you achieved. It doesn't have to be something big. You know, it can be, you know, you made your bed, uh, you cooked a meal, something small. And then think of something that you took delight in. You know, was it uh, a family member? Was it hearing a bird outdoors? Was it being in nature? You know, so just so all of those things are the same point that you're making about just being grateful, finding things that we can be grateful for and appreciate. And I think we all want to. I think it's just that we get we get stuck. We get stuck in our head. We get all those negative voices that start chit chatting, you know. Oh, yes. Oh, and we all have them. I, I can assure you, I used to have the worst case of the shoulds. <laughs> then when the shoulds brought out their little friends, shame and blame, I just thought, <laughs> mm, I got to lose those people. Those people are bringing me down. So we all have them. And recognizing that, and that's what I appreciate about appreciate about the approach that you're taking with medicine. I know that you direct the integrative medicine program at a hospital where I think it's des- desperately needed, and that brings in those holistic therapies to people that are patients. Mm-hmm. And 
just knowing that makes me feel more comfortable about thinking about going into a hospital. Yeah, you know, we've had a really good response to that. Um, you know, we didn't know for sure what the response would be from patients and from, uh, you know, the other providers, but uh, patients, you know, really appreciate it. You know, we walk in the room, uh, we give them some um, essential oils to inhale, some guided meditations, uh, some breath work to do, you know, for anxiety and to help them with pain. And they're very appreciative. You know, it's it's refreshing for them for someone to come in into the room and, and talk about um, these pleasant things, you know, rather than having to do a procedure or take a pill. And we've also found that, um, you know, our our fellow physicians and nurses are also very accepting of it because they see how it, it how it helps the patients and how the patients like it. Was that a surprise to you? Well, a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I've learned as as I have trained in integrative medicine, you know, I've seen the power of it. Um, I, I've seen how these these simple things that we can do, like intentional breathing, like movement, you know, nutrition and using our spirituality and mindfulness. I've seen how powerful those things can be. And so, you know, it's not terribly surprising that, uh, you know, people started to appreciate that. But I did wonder how long it would take and, and what the response would be. So it's been gratifying to see that people have been really accepting of it. And, you know, what we like to say, those of us in the field of integrative medicine, we like to say that in the future, we hope it won't be called integrative medicine. We hope it will just be called good medicine because these techniques will be integrated into the other things that we do with conventional medicine. I like that. And I think that medicine has been, you know, there's traditional, there's conventional, then there's that alternative stuff. And there's that holistic stuff of which I fall in, you know, in the the latter part, both of those latter two worlds. But it's all the same thing. We're all trying to create wellness. We're trying to create happiness, strength, resilience. We're, we're all trying to do the same thing. And I would I look forward to the day when it's all termed good medicine. Yes, because, what, you know, the reason we call it integrative, the reason it has that name is because we're not using these holistic therapies as alternatives to conventional medicine. We're just integrating them so that we're using all the tools in the toolbox, um, you know, to make people feel better and to help people heal. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the people that come to the Brain Performance Center don't want the traditional. They do not want medication. And sometimes it's because they've tried it and they've had a bad experience mm-hmm. and, or, or they know somebody that has. But more and more I see people, I, I use essential oils in my practice as well. And that's something that you can use to help lavender, help you go to sleep, mm-hmm. peppermint for clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and digest then for indigestion. Uh-huh. But, but these are things that you can do, you know, when you think about, well, if I have to get help, if I have to go to an office, if I have to go to a clinic, if I have to go to a center, it takes me, it puts me in a place where I feel I don't have control. But mm-hmm. if I think, well, I've got my, you know, I'm tossing and turning, I've got my lavender, that makes me feel like I'm more in control of my sleep. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. And that's, again, one of the reasons that we wrote the book, because we wanted people to be aware, aware of these self-care practices that they are empowered to do. Just like you're saying, you know, these are things they have control of. These are things that uh, they can use themselves to make themselves better. And so that is empowering, you know, that, that does uh, give them the control to help themselves. Well, it's interesting, you know, I know in the name of the book for our listeners is Breath for the Soul, Self-Care Steps to Wellness. And it gives us simple, but a lot of effective measures. And, and you've mentioned them. You've mentioned the breath work, the movement, the nutrition and spirit. And, you know, all of those give people, they're empowering they may, okay, what can I do today when I get up? Well, I can get up. I can go for that walk. I can get up. I can eat, fix myself a healthy breakfast instead of going for the donut or the sugar. <laughs> right. And, which, you know, occasionally we're all going to do. But I feel good when I eat good. I feel good when I sleep well. Mm-hmm. And when I wake up and I feel well, I feel like bring it on. I'm ready for the day. Yes, that's right. And, uh, you know, and uh, for instance, we use the term movement rather than exercise because exercise has a negative connotation for some people. And, you know, like I like vigorous movement. I like, you know, running. I like being on my uh, Peloton cycle. But not everybody likes that. And so, you know, moderate movement is fine, just walking or even gardening and movement meditations, you know, like yoga and Tai Chi, which there's a lot of evidence now that those things help us uh, physically as well as mentally as well. So um, it's just a matter of finding you know, which kind of movement is good for you, which one works for you. Well, and even as simple as stretching. At yes. the end of the day when I feel, you know, shoulder tension, tension in my all over my body, just laying on the floor and doing some simple stretches, I find to be very relieving. Yes, that's true. And uh, that can be very beneficial and very relaxing. And that is one part of yoga, you know, that's very good because there's a lot of stretching involved in that. And one of the techniques that we use um, that we recommend in our book is a technique called progressive muscle relaxation. Um, you know, where you uh, tense a muscle group and then relax it and just go through your whole body doing that. And that can be a very relaxing thing. We actually talk about that in the grief section as a type of movement that can be potentially helpful for people that are in grief. Well, that's, you know, that's a great place to put it because I have found grief to be one of the hardest emotions for people to work through. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to put myself in that category I lost my dad when I was 12, and he had lost a lung in World War II. So it, it wasn't a total surprise, but it didn't make it any easier to accept. Mm-hmm. It didn't make it any easier to, to deal with. And I, feel I looking back, I can see how grief really held me down and restricted me for, for many years. Yes. Well, and when we lose someone very close to us like that, uh, you know, and especially when it's unexpected, although, you know, even if we're expecting it, uh, there's nothing that's quite like the reality of it happening. It's different than than what we thought it was going to be. And, you know, like the loss of my son, I, I look at grief as a journey. It's not something, you know, that I feel like I'll ever totally be over, but it's something that I learned to live with. 
and I learn every day, you know, how I can live with it. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it affects, especially in the early days, the first six months, it affects our physical well-being. You know, our heart rate is fast. We're, uh, you know, we're breathing uh, in a shallow way as if somebody that's in fear. You know, I never realized until I lost my son how much fear there is in grief like that. You know, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? There's definitely fear involved. So, you know, your heart rate, your breathing, all of that is, uh, is in a stress and a fear response. And, and grief is, is exhausting. And there's, you know, higher rates of heart disease, um, higher rates of uh, other types of illness in the first six months after that kind of grief, just because of, uh, you know, the way our body responds to it. So it's very important to take care of yourself during those times. Uh, and I do think that people are so caught up in what they're feeling that it's hard to, it's hard to step out of that. And sometimes it, it's a whole family that's being mm-hmm. impacted. So mm-hmm. you lack those, that set of objective eyes and so for our listeners, if you have someone, a friend or, or someone in your family that is in the process, be, the, be that set of objective eyes in a loving and kind and nurturing way. That's so important. And, you know, I found that for me, um, some of the most helpful things were people, friends that just listened to me that, uh, you know, didn't give a lot of advice but just listen to what I was going through and what I was feeling. Um, and I, I found that to be one of the most helpful things uh, in recovering. Well, and I think that what I found, and uh, I, after my dad died, I lost my twin brother at 21, and, and it went on from there. But I really found that, and when my twin brother died, I was mad. I was mad at God. I was mad at myself. I was mad at everybody. Mm-hmm. Cast that and start to, you know, touch that spiritual side as a way to connect. I think that helped me more than anything. Yes. And that was helpful to me, too. You know, and, and I have a Christian faith. So I was very glad, you know, that I, I have this hope and this belief that I will see my son again, you know, in, in uh, another form, in another world. Um, and so that was very comforting to me. But, you know, the reality was I wasn't going to see him, you know, in a physical form on this earth anymore. And that's just something that's very hard to accept. And as you say, you know, there's different phases, you know, to grief. Um, you know, we there's people have talked about uh, Kubler-Ross has talked about denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. But, you know, that's not a linear progression. Um, we go in and out of each of those things, and then we go, you know, back and forth. Um, and there's really not a specific timeline to this kind of grief. You know, we all have to handle it uh, in our own way and in our own time. Well, and I, I have several clients that are still going round and round with it. And they're, I think once they recognize that one, one client said it's a roller coaster. Yes, and, and once they recognize that, I think then they're more prepared mm-hmm. for that up and down, which is helpful. What role do you think nutrition plays in what somebody is going? Because I know when I get really sad and I turn very much inward, I don't want to eat. 
And I know that's not good for me. I don't drink my water. I don't stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know it's a natural reaction that some people have. How important is nutrition? Well, it's very important, you know, and there's an increasing amount of information that our nutrition is very much affects our mental as well as our physical health. And, you know, things like uh, depression and grief, you know, for some people, uh, they eat less. And then other people, they eat more, you know, it's kind of a classic thing in depression that, you know, you have a change in your eating habits and a change in your weight. Uh, You know, you may eat more and gain weight or you may eat less and lose weight. But either one of those things can be consistent with depression. Um, And we also talk in the book, we also talk about stress eating and how we can get on that cycle of you know, high sugar foods. And, and while that makes us feel better, you know, uh, initially when that sugar hits our brain, you know, after an hour or so, our insulin has kicked in and our, our blood sugar levels drop and we're craving something again. So, so we really emphasize, you know, um, eating more plants, um, anti-inflammatory foods like vegetables, fruits, nuts, healthy fats like omega-3s and olive oil. And, and there's, um, you know, uh, increasing amount of evidence that shows that people that eat that way as compared to people who eat, um, you know, are highly processed foods, you know, fried foods, uh, packaged foods, um, high salt, high sugar foods. Um, there's really better mental health in the first group that's, that's eating the healthier foods. I've seen that a lot in my practice. There are some people that are so sensitive to sugar, Mm -hmm. it it can absolutely put them in a tailspin. And others are so sensitive to caffeine that we all have to figure out what what works for our body. I mean, remember the, gosh, it must be 20 years ago, the book, Eat for Your Blood Type. Mm -hmm. There's so many different, we've, we've been trying to figure out what's right for us for a long time. Yes. And, you know, the coffee is a good point. We are such a coffee nation. And, you know, I I drink coffee, um, you know, uh, usually a small cup once a day, but not necessarily every day. But, you know, as a nation, we've just become so focused on coffee. And, you know, many people drink uh, several cups a day. And coffee, you know, it's an antioxidant. So in that sense, it can be good for us. But, Um, You know, when we drink a lot of it, as you point out, you know, it has a lot of caffeine and it can actually cause anxiety in people. It can cause headaches. Um, You know, so so one thing we look at and people that come in with anxiety and headaches is we talk to them, you know, about what they're eating, what they're drinking. And if they're drinking a lot of coffee, we encourage them, you know, to decrease the amount they're drinking. And I think, you know, people um, in, in this country in particular, we haven't appreciated teas very well. You know, and herbal teas can be very good for us peppermint and ginger are very good for our digestion. Um, Green tea has some caffeine, but um, less than coffee. And it also has a calming ingredient in it called L-theanine. So, um, you know, uh, and and then has a lot of antioxidants that are good for our body. So, you know, we encourage people and we talk about in the book, um, you know, about uh, drinking tea and thinking about that, you know, as an alternative to coffee. Well, what I encourage as an alternative to coffee is water. I mean, when you think about it, the brain weighs three pounds and it's 60 percent water. If you're not giving your if you're not keeping that brain hydrated, how well do you think it's going to work for you? And people will tell me, oh, I drink a lot of water. Oh, you do? Yeah, I drink about three or four cups of coffee in the morning. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Yeah. it's a dehydrator. But so if, if my big push is just water. 
just keep yourself hydrated. Right. That is very important. And most of us um, are dehydrated a lot of the time. And um, another thing I talk about in the book, in the grief section, is that grief is very dehydrating. Grief is exhausting and dehydrating. You know, um, again, you know, you're 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 breathing fast. Your heart rate rate is fast. You're crying, um, and so all those things dehydrate us. So um, I remember a nice note that I got from um, another mother who had lost a son. And she gave some practical advice to me. And one of those was drink lots of water. And, you know, I appreciated that because I hadn't thought about that. But it's true that grief is exhausting and it's dehydrating. So it is very good advice to drink lots of water and stay hydrated. I haven't thought about it in that the same way as as it relates to grief either. So I've learned something already and I'm glad that I did. The, and I love that glad. I mean, being grateful and every day I want to learn something new. And when you said, when you talked about achieving and you said, make your bed, I was like, oh, I do love it when I, when I, you know, I do it and I fix the pillows and everything. <laughs> That's an achievement. It is. And, and it does give me great delight. You know, uh-huh. we've got just about three minutes left before we go to break. And we've talked about a lot of different things. But if I ask you, what are the takeaways that you want our listeners to have from the first part of the show? What would they be? Well, um, that there are things that that they can do for self-care, simple yet effective things, intentional breathing, you know, use deep, slow breathing. And we have in the book, we have some breathing exercises, you know, movement, find a movement that works for you Uh, for nutrition, eat more plants. We like to say eat the rainbow uh, when you're eating foods that are different kinds of colors and, you know, food coloring doesn't count, but those foods that have natural colors, those are healthy, healthy for us. And use your spirituality, you know, connect with others uh, and a higher and higher being, whether for you that's faith, nature, service, or the arts, you know, it's very important to do that and, and to use your meditation and mindfulness. Well, and I think, you know, your point on being staying connected, what I saw in the pandemic was loneliness will kill us. Sure. It absolutely yeah. will. And people got, you know, we were all forced to retreat and we were forced to become even more insular. Mm-hmm. And then we we get there and we kind of forget how to get out of it. One of the things oh, that I nice. noticed And Dallas is, and I'm sure San Antonio, it's crazy driving there too. But I noticed when we started really coming out of the pandemic, the road rage. (laughs) Yes. I mean, and I even talked on a couple of radio shows about it. And my bottom line was, I think people just forgot how to play nice. Mm -hmm. Anybody on the road. And now there is. and, And we just forgot how to play nice. Right. I agree. Well, I think that, you know, you've made some really important points and there's so much evidence that's pointing to it. And I said in the beginning, I I'm looking for good medicine to be the future of medicine, not only for myself, but for my grandbaby and and just Mm -hmm. a different way to live. We have a lot more to talk about. I want to go into more detail about the book and we'll talk more about that. And just to kind of learn more about your personal story, because you certainly have integrated that into your good medicine. So stay with us. We'll be back right after a break. 
We'll be back after these messages. feel like you spend more time channel surfing for something to watch on TV than actually watching a program? Well, you're right. A recent study suggests that the average American will waste 23 minutes every day trying to find something to watch on television. That's 1.3 years of your life wasted on changing channels. What's another word for lounging in bed watching TV? Perkle Durkle. And get this. The inventor of the remote control didn't even watch television. Many people thought the remote control was just another Jifu jet. That's an unnecessary thing. I think the real question is, how much of our lives do we spend searching for the remote control? It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we've talked a lot about the good things that you can do for yourself. And a lot of them are detailed in the book, Breath for the Soul. And that's something that I think that I'd like to learn more about. And particularly, I'm, I'm curious as to what prompted you to write that book. Your background, I mean, is so varied. Well, you know, I, so I spent, you know, I've spent more than 30 years in traditional academic medicine, you know, very evidence-based. Um, and, you know, but this this journey to writing the book really started with my grief journey. Um, and, you know, after the loss of my son, which is, of course, a very devastating loss, you know, there there was counseling, there was medication, you know, but I, but, you know, what really helped me a lot was when I learned about essential oils and I use them daily and, you know, our smell nerve goes directly to our limbic system in the brain, which controls our emotions and our motivation. It's a very primitive part of our brain. And, you know, I found that, um, you know, those oils really influenced my mood and influenced, you know, how I was feeling. I also used movement. I, uh, you know, aerobic exercise was very good for me. It, it helped me get away from ruminating, you know, about all that had happened um, and just feeling better in general, you know, helped me take, you know, deep breaths uh, and, uh, you know, exercising my body was very good for me. So all of that, you know, made me think, you know, there must be other things that also help um, other holistic therapies that are very helpful. And that led me to uh, doing the training in integrative medicine at the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine at University of Arizona. And during that two-year fellowship, it was a non-residential fellowship. We spent three weeks on site, and then the rest of the thousand hours was, um, you know, online. And so uh, the thing about the fellowship is there's a lot of evidence-based, all these holistic therapies, which people don't really realize, even in the medical field. They don't get advertised a lot because guess what? You know, there's not pharma. There's not money behind them. You know, there's not money behind intentional breath work. There's not money behind exercise. So, um, you know, but I learned about all these things. And, uh, you know, the more I learned, the more I was helped by these integrative therapies. I started using them, you know, with my friends and then with my patients. And I found myself coming down basically to four pillars of self-care. And that was breath, meaning intentional breath work, 
you know, t- instead of the rapid, shallow breathing, breathing that we often do when we're stressed, taking deep, slow, regular breaths, and then using some specific breathing exercises when we're anxious. And then movement, you know, um, encouraging uh, patients to find some movement that works for them, uh, that, uh, you know, helps their body. And then nutrition, you know, our standard American diet, we call the SAD, (laughs) is a lot of processed foods, high refined sugar, um, high in, uh, you know, fried foods, and those are all very inflammatory. So, um, you know, the more we can eat plants and especially all the different colors of plants doesn't mean that we can't eat meat, but, uh, just, you know, try to eat more plants. I tell my patients, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be a drastic change, but just, you know, add one vegetable a day or add one fruit a day to what you're eating. Uh, maybe one less cup of coffee, you know, uh, and as you say, you know, drink, drink a cup of water or drink a cup of herbal tea instead of that coffee. So, um, you know, paying attention to nutrition and then also our spirituality. You know, there's evidence now that um, people who think spiritual thoughts, and by that I mean connection with others and a higher being, that they have a more activated brain. There's actually been functional MRI studies that show that that people using their spirituality have a more active brain. And one of the things that gets us there is connecting with others and then also using our meditation and our mindfulness. And so um, I found myself coming back to those four pillars. And, you know, I really wanted uh, other people to learn about these because they're very simple uh, and yet they're effective. And so um, I was ta- I talked a lot to my friend Phyllis Clark Nichols, who's a co-author of the book. Um, and uh, she had been using these modalities with her and her husband as he he went through three bouts of cancer and she was his main caregiver. And so um, so we talked about, you know, um, I'll write the evidence based and the practical tools that people can use. And then uh, Phyllis uh, will write a, a spiritual guide. You know, she's a, she's an inspirational author. And so she wrote kind of a spiritual guide to go along with the evidence and tools that I give. And we structure the book um, with the different difficulties in life, starting with stress and then anxiety and then depression and then grief. And in each of those um, areas, we talk about breath work, movement, nutrition, and spirit that can help in each one of those difficulties in life. So the book is is structured so that, um, uh, you know, you can look at, at whatever problem you're having an issue with. And really, you know, you don't have to be depressed or grieving to benefit from this book because there's no one that cannot benefit from self-care, you know, and we all get stressed at some point in time. We, we all deal with anxiousness and sadness. And sometime in life, we're going to, you know, have to deal with grief. Um, so, um, we um, so we have we we structure the book that way, and then uh, we also have an inhale and exhale section at the end of each section section that gives you inhale gives you some quotes to think about that are relevant, and exhale gives you some action steps to do um, for uh, dealing with whatever difficulty um, you're dealing with. Oh, I like that, and I'm a big believer in affirmations. Yes, using affirmations to as a way to to be inspired and to get strength from. So I I definitely like that. You know, stress is something that over the last couple of years, every statistic I see shows that stress is going up. It Mm -hmm. is not going down and it's it's global. It's not just Texas 
mm-hmm. or the United States. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I have found is our lifestyle choices tend to feed our stress. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for people around? And when I say lifestyle choices, I mean, how much time do you spend on social media? Yes, exactly. And I I talk about that in the book. You know, um, so our ancestors, you know, we we developed millions of years ago, we developed this response to stress, you know, when a predator was chasing us. um, You know, we developed this fight or flight response where the adrenaline in our body would help us run fast and we were breathing quickly. And, uh, you know, we had this stress response to that to that chase. But, you know, our, with our ancestors, you know, that chase was over at some point. <laughs> Whereas today, you know, we have this chronic stress um, where, you know, uh, we wake up and we, we deal with the issues at home. Um, you know, we get the kids off to school. We're multitasking. Then we go to work uh, and, and we're dealing with stresses there. Uh, then we, you know, drive home in the traffic, which is stressful. We get home and we have to multitask when we get home. And then we're on our phone, like you say, we're on our social media. And, you know, we, there can never, we can never stop sometimes, you know. And, and one of the things I talk about in the book, in the stress section, is taking a break from your phone, taking a break from social media. Um, you know, I've learned that uh, really, if you think about it, what, how do you feel when you scroll through your social media pages? Does it actually make you feel better or does it make you feel worse? <laughs> you know, I find many times it makes me feel worse. You know, I see all these people, they're, they're showing their best moments and their happy moments. And I'm thinking, gee, you know, my life is not that great. But um, I find that if I take a, a break from that social media, uh, I can actually feel a lot better. And, and I spend less time with social media is, is an improvement for me. And same thing with their phones. You know, we, we need to be able to learn to put them down. We don't have to pick them up at every idle moment. You know, use some of that time for mindfulness, just to think about, you know, um, being attentive to the moment, being curious in the moment, listening to what's going on around you, you know, using your senses um, in, instead of defaulting to your phone. Because I think we we tend to do that a lot these days. Oh, I think we do, too. And the one of the greatest powers we have is the power of observation. Stop, yes. look, listen, smell. What's going on around you? And mm-hmm. what do you hear in the background? What do you feel? Do you feel the wind on your shoulders? But it's much easier to just pick up a phone mm-hmm. and and off off we go. And I think that's one of the things my biggest negative about social media, and I know it brings joy to a lot of people. But what I don't like is it really has turned us into a comparative society because mm-hmm. I'm comparing that great shot of you and your family on the ocean <laughs> to, oh, well, you know, I'm not on the ocean. One kid's here, one kid's there. Uh-huh. And so anytime you compare, you have a winner and a loser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's why I learned it's, you know, it's better for me to really um dial down my social media time, uh, you know, and, and I, I have taken some of the, um, some of those social media apps off my phone at certain points in time. And, uh, you know, I realize I haven't really missed a lot by not looking at those every day. So, um, you know, if, if you can just think about, well, you know, take, you know, pick, 
one time a week, you know, that you can take to look at those things. But there's no reason to really look at them every day. And we can make a better use of our time. Uh, it can be better for us psychologically, um, you know, to not have to deal with the social media every day. Well, and social media has really taken a an even bigger step. I did a couple of interviews on how, and it's not just TikTok, but how social media sites, and they were specifically mentioning TikTok, are, you know, kids, young people use them as search engines. Mm-hmm. Someone, I was reading an article and it said mental health had been hashtagged 67 million times. Mm-hmm. They go on there and what they see, it's very relatable. You know, you see people your age, you see people you can relate to, and they they share their experience with stress or anxiety or depression or ADHD. And all of a sudden, it becomes your experience, too. Yes. Uh-huh. So my encouragement is always recognize what social media is. It's not a search engine, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because my favorites, the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, Stanford, Harvard Health, blah, blah, blah. When I start talking that language, the the younger, particularly the teenagers, they look at me and just kind of that deer in the headlights look. Like, <laughs> what? What are those? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and those are there's there's many, many good spots, you know, to visit. Um, do you do you have an online resource that you refer clients patients to? Well, I actually uh, we refer patients to some sites for guided meditations. Our hospital has uh, they bought some access to uh, a set of guided meditations, but I also um, have referred patients to uh, Insight Timer, which is a guided meditation app, and and I use that uh, almost every day. Um, there's another one called UCSA, UCLA Mindful that um, is a very good guided meditation site, and that one has a lot of um, meditations in Spanish and some other languages as well. So, um, so I refer people to those, and then I also refer people to um, to YouTube to see how to do this four seven eight breath, which is one of the breathwork exercises we use. We go over it with people, but uh, we also refer them to uh, YouTube to actually see how to do that. Um, And then I also, in terms of movement, uh, YouTube has a lot of, of course, uh, there's yoga uh, online and there's uh, Qigong. There's a lot of uh, Qigong that you can find on YouTube uh, that, you know, is is easy to do and people can follow very easily from social media. So those are some of the things I've referred people to. Well, and and thank you for sharing those with us because there is so much goodness out there on social media. And a lot of times we focus on the negativity that's around it, but we're all looking for resources and we all want instant gratification. If I want an answer, you know, I don't want to spend three hours Uh reading four different journal articles. I want an answer and I want it now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, we're all about finding an answer right now. Um, And, you know, we're so used to that. Again, using our phones, we can, if there's a question comes up that somebody doesn't know, uh, you know, we can Google it on our phone and have an instant answer. Um, But, you know, uh, of course, the real issues in life are not that simple. 
Um, we have to uh, we have to learn by doing and thinking. You know, when I uh, right after I lost my son, six months after I lost my son was when I got diagnosed with uterine cancer. And, um, you know, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, why is this happening now? Um, but you know what? There was a silver lining in that because, um, you know, losing a child is such a devastating experience. You know, I wasn't suicidal, but I just felt like, you know, living is is tough. It feels hard to go on with life right now. But when I got uh, diagnosed with cancer, you know, I realized that I really did have a reason to live. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there for the rest of my family. I had other stuff to do. So, um, you know, so I learned a lesson in in, in that. And then uh, over the next few years, um, you know, I had lost my mother uh, just before my son died. My son Will died, and then my dad had dementia, and so we we had that battle. You know, we fought that battle with him for several years before he died, and then I had a a disabled brother that I was the medical decision maker for, uh, and he died. Um, you know, um, relatively soon after Will died. So there were all these things happening at once, and you know, uh, it felt so overwhelming, but. Um, again, that is when I learned to uh, to turn to some of these other things. Again, conventional medicine did not have the answers for me, and that um, those 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 times were times that I learned to rely more on on uh, you know my faith, my uh, holistic therapies with essential oils, meditation, and those kinds of things. Well, and I appreciate you sharing so much information with with me and the listeners because, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, I haven't achieved anything. So this kind of stuff just happens to to people like me. And you shared your story. Oh, my gosh, what you've accomplished in your 30 years within the conventional medicine and then what you continue to accomplish on your own personal learning, you know, that communicates to me. Hey, we we all doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, how much education you have. It doesn't matter how much you know. We all are going to be touched by life. That's right. And um, you know, I was asked not too long ago. Um, you know, what advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> you know, if you could if you could do that. And uh, you know, I had a pretty easy life early on. Not a lot of drama. Not a lot of grief. You know, um, I had parents that loved and took care of me. You know, we had what we needed, most of what we wanted. I had a lot of opportunities. Um, and so, you know, when I hit these, when these things hit me, when uh, life hit me like it did, um, you know, it was it was really a shock. And so, I would tell my younger self, I would say, you know. Life can and will get very hard, um, harder than you would ever imagine, um, but you will find your way through it um, as a journey. You will learn to live with these things. Your faith will help you. Your family, your friends will help you, and you will learn about different resources that you don't even know about uh yet in conventional medicine that will help you and can do wonderful things. So, um so, yeah, these are these are things, you know, the older you get, the more likely uh, it is that things bad things will happen. Right. And so so if I could go back and tell my younger self, I could be a little more prepared for what happened. But, you know, life is not like that. No, it, it certainly isn't. 
But for those younger listeners that are out there, thank you for sharing that because there's something to be learned from it all. When you think about what got you through, you know, if I said, what are the three things that really got you through it? What would those three things be? Well, I would have to say uh, my faith. Um, you know, I spirituality has always been very important to me. And so, um, you know, my my belief in God, although, you know, as you expressed, I, I was angry at God, you know, when my uh, when my son died. Um, but, you know, I um, I also found that, uh, you know, God was a great resource for me and my faith um, as I came to know it through these trials was a very great resource for me. And uh, and I would look at family and friends as the next resource. As I mentioned, you know, those those friends who would just listen to me and not give a lot of advice that was very healing for me. And then I would say meaningful work. You know, um, I felt very fortunate to be um, in medicine and then uh, to be at the time that my son died, I was working on uh, healthcare improvement. And so I found that to be very meaningful. And then as I've gone on to train in integrative medicine and you know, spread that message uh, and tell more people about that. I found that to be very meaningful. But I, I just remember, you know, in those early days after my son died, it was just hard to get out of bed in the morning. And, uh, you know, so one thing that did help me get out of bed was the fact that I had meaningful work. And, um, you know, we can all find something meaningful to do. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, medicine, of course, but we can all find ways to help people, to serve others, you know, uh, and whatever work we're doing, uh, we can uh, usually think of a way of how it's helping others. And uh, we can also do things outside of work, you know, volunteer work, service work that can help others. So, so I think that that meaningful work was a very important component for me as well. And I, I can identify with that. I honestly can. But you make a good point because there are many times that nothing makes me feel better than to do something for somebody else mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just giving of yourself, giving time, giving energy, volunteering. We all have great ways that we can contribute. And I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and especially when we're grieving, you know, we don't think a lot about that. We're kind of focused on ourselves, and, and that's, you know, that's expected. Um, that's not, that's certainly not wrong to think about how we're feeling at that time. But, you know, when, when we're able, when we're able to think about others, you know, there are others out there that are hurting. What can we do? Even just little things to help them. Can we take them a meal? Can we walk their dog for them? Um, you know, how can we help them? Uh, you know, can we volunteer at the food bank? And anytime that we do something for someone else, it, it does. It makes us feel better, like you say. And it is the simplest things. We used to have an older lady that lived two houses down, but she'd gotten older and she couldn't change her light bulbs unless they were in a lamp. And yes. she, she used to come down, knock on the door. <laughs> and it sounds so simple, but it made her day. It yes. absolutely made her day that, she, oh my gosh, I can see so much better. Yeah. And, and I would laugh about it. I would think, wow, it's, it's such a great feeling to do so little 
and get such a great return on it. It is very rewarding. You know, and then I think another thing that helped me was telling my story. Um, You know, I found that early on it was difficult to do, but I found that the more I talked about it, that was healing. And, uh, you know, I realized that that others could benefit from healing, from hearing my story. And that was another reason that I wrote the book, uh, because I've had to deal with grief and depression. Um, So um, that was another reason I wanted to share my story with people, because it was it was healing for me. And I and I also hoped it would be helpful for others. Well, I think the more that we share, the more open we are, the more that we give to others. I believe in karma. What goes around comes around mm-hmm. and will come right back at you. Yeah, that's true. And there's a there's a quote. One of the quotes from our book uh, from Elie Wiesel is that he who has survived the test, uh, he must tell the story. That is his duty. And so, you know, I think about um, if we've if we've survived a trial, if we've made it through something, then we need to talk about it. You know, we need to tell other people how we got through that um, because it's our duty, because it can help other people. Well, and I think, as you said earlier, it's also healing. The more yeah. you talk about it, the better you feel about it, mm-hmm. the, the prouder you are of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, the more insights, you know, each time you tell your story, you know, you can gain some new insights about what you learned um, or how you've grown from that experience. So, yes, it can be very helpful. So for people that are interested in getting the book and the book is Breath for the Soul, Self-Care Steps to Wellness, where would they find it? So it's on Amazon. And uh, it's also on bn.com, barnesandnoble.com. And you can also order it from your local bookstore. Great. So because I think a lot of people, there's so many different approaches to self-care. And they all have value. I'm not, I, I think they all have value. But I like the way that you broke it down into the four pillars. And I like the way that I mean, basically, you just ask yourself, what worked for me? Mm -hmm. And then you partnered with partnered with somebody that had complementary skills and you put that information together because I I say this often. we, We have to be our own advocate. We have to take we're responsible for our mental health. And we're responsible for our physical health. And mm-hmm. when I say that, people will say, well, I don't know how to do that. And finding something that resonates with you, finding a book, finding a med- guided meditation. And I'm going to check out the, you know, the UCLA Mindful and the Insider Timer, both of those that you mentioned. Because finding good resources and being able to pass those along and share them definitely adds value. Yes. And so I, I think that that's um, another way we can help people is, you know, sharing uh, what got us through and what helped us along. Well, you know, my big takeaway from today's call is I'm glad I instead of just doing my gratefulness, I'm going to think about what I learned, what I received <laughs> and what I take delight in. So that's your gift to me. And, and I I thank you for that very much. Thank you so much for being on the show, being so open and so honest with sharing what you've experienced on your journey. And I know that it many people are touched by suicide, but 
myself included, but not everybody's willing to share the way that you did. So I can't thank you enough for your time, your energy today. Thank you so much, Jan. Dr. Jan Patterson. Thank you, Lee. It's been great to be here. And she's got a website too. Check that out. Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 